Hi folks, before we start this week's episode, I wanted to ask for your support for Design Museum Everywhere. Just like this podcast, so much of what Design Museum Everywhere puts out in the world is free and accessible to everyone. We're all about bringing design impact everywhere. Whether it's our virtual events, like our recent Design Museum Live on data visualization and COVID-19, or our We Design online exhibition featuring designers of color across every design field, or the hundreds of articles on design on our website and in our magazine, like one of my personal favorites, Design Thinking for Rocket Scientists. There's just so much Design Museum content to enjoy. It's all made possible by people like you whose financial support drives our ability to bring the transformative power of design everywhere. If you enjoy this podcast, I hope you'll consider making a year-end gift to support us. Your donation is tax-deductible and means a lot to us. So visit designmuseumeverywhere.org and click on the link at the top of the page. Thanks, and now on to the show. Welcome to Design is Everywhere, the weekly podcast from the Design Museum. I'm your host, Sam Aquilano. I'm the founder and executive director of the Design Museum. Each week on our show, we tackle a different element of design and explore how it impacts our everyday lives. We always have the help of a new, exciting guest co-host, who is an expert in their field, and we interview a guest about their work in design because design is everywhere, and so are we. This episode is about the worlds of film, television, and plays. How do art directors, set designers, and set decorators create the worlds that actors bring to life? How do they craft something from nothing, something fictional, in a way that encourages an audience to immerse themselves within? Does good design help tell better stories? We'll find out. Our co-host today is Jessica Kender, a production designer with an impressive list of credits, The Catch, Future Man, Dexter, just to name a few. Later on the show, we'll be joined by the set decorator of Little Fires Everywhere, Lisa Clark. And as always, we'll have our weekly dose of good design. But before we dive in, some news from the Design Museum. We are publishing a book. Bespoke Bodies, The Design and Craft of Prosthetics is a 200-page exhibition catalog and print resource containing all of our research and content from our traveling exhibition on prosthetic design. It's like bringing the exhibition home. This book features the past, present, and future of prosthetic design. It has a 500-year history of prosthetics and stories of people living with limb loss and limb difference and the prosthetic devices that they utilize. It also has seven guest essays from thought leaders in the field, and it's just an amazing time to explore prosthetics since there's so much happening. There's innovations in 3D printing, sensors, robotics, and more. I know you're going to love this book. Check out one of our past episodes where we talked about the eye limb, which is a really neat, basically bionic arm. That's in the book and so many others. So you can pre-order it now on our website and $5 from every book sold during the pre-order goes to support the Amputee Coalition, a nonprofit advocacy group for people living with limb loss. So if you're interested in pre-ordering, visit our website, designmuseumeverywhere.org and click on the link on the homepage. So I've been watching a lot of shows lately with the number of streaming services available now, there's a lot to pick from, but some shows, you know, they just pull you in deeper. And when that happens, is it just because the actors are really good at their job or is it something more? I'm joined by Jessica Kender. She makes fictional worlds come to life Jessica studied scenic design at Carnegie Mellon University before moving to New York City to create sets for theater. From there, she went on to LA and got her first TV gig on Dexter. Now her work can be seen on Hulu, Amazon, and HBO. She received an Art Directors Guild nomination for her work on Hulu's Future Man, and most recently she adapted the world in Celeste Ng's novel Little Fires Everywhere. 
Jessica Kender seemingly bounces through time in her work. She creates sets 150 years in the future, harnessing 90s nostalgia to create suburban Ohio, and has taken a private home in Highland Park and turned it into an abandoned church. Very cool. Jessica spoke at our recent Design Night Live event in June and just wowed us, so I'm very excited to have her on the show. Her designs tell stories. Jessica, welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's our pleasure. It's nice to see you again. Always excited for this topic. So wondering if you can tell our audience what you do as a production designer. So my job as a production designer is to work sort of hand in hand with the director of photography to create the look of the show. And that's sort of all encompassing. I manage a bunch of different departments that create this look. And the idea is that if you were to turn on a TV show without seeing the actors in it, ideally, you would know what show you were watching before they even came on the screen. And so my job, I work from everything within my own art department where we sort of conceptualize what the show is going to look like to the construction department that builds the sets, to the set decoration department that fills the sets, to the props, which is anything you touch, to the locations, to the visual effects, to the special effects. So I sort of take all of those and form it into this concept that then I'll work with the DP to sort of create the tone from there. You know, is it dark? Is it light? Is it uh, noir? Is it super glossy? And together we put together the look of the show. And you have this range of film and TV work, but I'm curious, how did you get into this kind of work? So I did in high school, uh, my parents told me that I had to have an after school activity. Um, and I said, great, I'm going to do newspaper. And they were like, no, no, it's got to take up the same amount of time as a sport, knowing that I would not take a sport. And the only thing that filled that was stage crew. And I started doing stage crew and I loved it. We would, you would put in two, three and a half hour shifts a week and three and a half hours on the weekends. And it was exciting. And so when it came to picking a college, I went to Carnegie Mellon where literally it's a conservatory. So all I know how to do is set design. So now it's a good thing. I love it because I have no other skills. Your process, I'm so curious, you know, as a, you know, everyone's got a creative process. You've got a unique set of things to pull together. So what is your, I think you're on a new uh, production now. So maybe you could tell us a bit about like where you start and where the process goes from there. You know, it's interesting. Um, what happens first is that I'll usually get the very first script in a show. So when I interview, I'll be sent a script. And the second I start reading it, I start seeing it in my head. So as I'm flipping, I'm forming a visual picture book. And so by the time I go into the interview, the way that you interview in my job is you basically pitch them, this is how I would do the show. Um, and so I've read it, I've seen it in my mind, and I start looking for images that either back up what I see in my mind or take me, like inspire me a little bit more. I mean, I really think our job, because even in the stuff I've done, like Future Man, which is set in the future, you're looking for basis in reality so that it's believable. And so it's the perfect example of imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, because I'll go through and I will pull from architects I like, or I'll pull from design magazines I like, or I'll just pull from like a place I visited that I like, you know, and I'll put them all together and basically come up with a board that I will present and say, this is how I want the show to look. Do you agree? Do you like it? And if they like it, they say, please come on to the show. And then I'll just start working from there. Is there a part 
of the show that you start with or does that change like how does that process different between different projects you know it's funny there's actually there there is a system that happens um anyone who watches regular tv you know you land in the same places over and over again and those are called our um amort sets because they're amortized over the entire season so you always start with those sets because you know you're going to be in them the most they're usually the most important to the story they're where you're going to spend the most airtime every episode and so in tv we range between eight and eleven days an episode but when i am prepping the permanent sets these amort sets i will have anywhere between seven to 14 weeks to prep them versus the normal eight to 11 days. So it always starts with the most important sets. And once you figure out what they are, those are the sets where those sets are their own character. And you want to make sure that they fit whatever character is going to be within them and like support that character. Like they're another layer Mm -hmm. to what that actor is going to use. You know, on a lot of shows, they'll, the actors don't, all the time, or I would say almost even rarely, give me a lot of input on the sets, but they always walk the sets before they shoot them when it's a big important set so that they can walk through. Like when I was on Little Fires, the kids came in and really went through the rooms and were like, why'd you put that there? Why'd you do that? Because I will say to them like, hey, we gave you this hobby. You yeah, know, like, yeah, yeah. Hey, we thought you collected <laughs> these. Hey, you're really into this, you know, and they can then build a more well-rounded character from the set that you've given them with the bigger actors, you know, like Reese and Carrie and like Patricia Arquette, they are such like linchpins of the story that they would also want to come through, get the sense of it. And if they felt like certain things, you know, it's little things where they think about like Reese played a mom and we were in the kitchen and she said like, which way do I bring in groceries? Like, how do I come in from the car? You know, like, things like that, because they want to seem like they've been doing these routines for years rather than show up on set and be like, I guess I'll come through here. Like it should seem natural. They'll do stuff where sometimes they'll eat a meal in the, in the place you've set before you actually shoot, shoot there so that they can get that feeling of family, that type of thing. I'm curious if there's anything that surprised you getting into like TV and film set design when you started on Dexter, it was like anything you were like, oh, this is so different than theater. It's much, much faster. (laughs) It's so much faster. You know, theater, you have months that you're developing a show. One of the examples I like to give is when I was actually on Medium, it was my first time art directing. Mm. So that's my right-hand person is my art director. Production designer couldn't do what we call opening a set, which is you show up and you make sure everybody's happy. You stay through the first rehearsal. So I was opening set and our showrunner came out and he saw this giant, it was like a 30 foot high parking sign and it was lit up. Well, it looked like it would Mm -hmm. light up and it just happened to be, he parked in these lots all the time. We were shooting LA for Phoenix and he saw it and he said, we can't have that here. Like people will know it's LA. They won't. (laughs) Like, we're going to give away that it's not Phoenix. And he said, we need to take it down. I was like, it's this 30 foot sign that looks like it lights up. And what ended up happening, we had about half an hour to address it. We pulled up a big steak bed truck. We found out from the location that even though it used to be a light box, it wasn't working anymore. We took a sawzall, chopped it down, and like eight guys lowered it into the steak bed and drove off. Oh my God. You know, like that would never happen in theater. So that was one of those where I was like, huh. This is a whole different world, you know, like they're 
you have more resources at your fingertips than you do in theater, but that also means that more is ex you're expected to be able to produce stuff at a much faster pace. Yeah, that's intense. Especially so, like you said, so many people involved, including the actors. Do you have a favorite tool or material that you use that maybe cuts across everything that you do? My computer? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so much. It's funny because uh, when I first started designing, one of my favorite things to do was to get books that would support my reference, you know, I still love books, but if I'm being totally honest, the computer is where I go to if I want quick visual input. It's also the way that I communicate with everybody, especially now that we're working remotely. You know, I'm working from home. And so there's a whole bunch of technology that allows me to do that now. So more than anything, because it's both the tool that I use to inspire me and the tool that I use to tell people what I'm doing, it's probably that, which seems sort of the antithesis of being an artist. No, but I mean, that's true. if someone asked me yeah. about my job and I'd be like, spreadsheets, computer and spreadsheets. <laughs> and they'd yeah. be like, I thought you were a designer. Yeah. I'm like, I, sadly, I am. <laughs> yep. Yep, exactly. I'm curious then. So I'm trying to picture you've got like what I would call from like my design career, like a mood board, right? Of kind of like yeah. what yeah. this looks like how do you actually then like start specking out the things that are actually going to show up in like, you're now translating from like your inspiration to exactly what is going to be there. Like you must write that down at some point. Yeah. Uh, so I have my board and what I'll first start to do is usually because it's the big sets, I'll do like a virtual 3d white model. And that's what I'll use to get everybody on board with what we're doing, all the different departments looking at it, the producers look at it. Once I get a go on that, then it starts being farmed off to all my different departments. So I'll have my set designer start to draw it up because the drawings will then go to construction who will build it. I'll have my decorator and I will sit down and we'll talk about, you know, okay, here's the furniture we need to fill it. Here's the stuff I love. What can you get? You know, like here are the colors, you know, I'll start swatching paint. I love to use Ben Moore. So I'll you pull out. Yeah. Those will stick up, up on the board as the decorator brings in fabrics. We'll stick them up on the board. You know, we will then with props, they'll start to see like, this is the vibe we're going for. So they'll start pulling stuff that's appropriate for what we're doing. So it sort of just starts with that and it gets, farmed out, you know, and meanwhile, locations, I'll say, you know, like when I have created this look, usually let's say it's a house I'll have given to them. I want this type of house. And because my set has to reflect the inside of that house, we're shooting the house on location. We're shooting the inside on stage. They'll have found me a bunch of houses and we'll have narrowed it down from there to the one that we're building our gotcha. set off of. So it's a lot of that going on. And I have it's very funny if you saw my room right now, usually in the office over here are just stacks of sample books. I have nice. wallpaper books. I have chip chains oh for gosh. laminate. I, yeah, it's piled up. I have them in my closet too, because I do still have to live yeah, here. Yeah. Um, but so I have a kit that I take around with me and constantly replenish that has all the finishes that I'm going to use typically. And then when I need stuff like flooring or carpet, there are a couple places in LA that work with industries that you can just go down, they'll give you a sample. You can, someone will bring me a bunch of samples and I'll lay them out and pick them. Same with 
There's a place in LA that you can get cabinets mm, very quickly mm-hmm. from, you know, all that wow. stuff. There's a great infrastructure to work at the speed we need here. So cool. So when so much, like you said, so many pieces getting farmed out, when it all comes together, what's that feeling like for you who like had that initial like vision in your mind? Like, how do you feel? They're all my babies. <laughs> I, you know, like the, one of the most satisfying days on a show is the day when you get to open up a set you're mm. working on because it goes together. And I mean, look, all of us who are in this industry, we didn't do it for our own. Like we want people to see what we do, right? That's why you're in TV. Like you, you, you want an audience. And so when, for me, it's interesting. I would say the audience that gets the most visceral reaction from me is the crew and the cast when they first walk on a set because they're so intimately involved in the scripts that if you've got it right, you did it right. Like usually I'll know if I had a set, right. You know, like you feel it inside and you just can't wait for people to come on and be like, wow, you know, either like, this is what I thought, or like, this is better than what I thought. That's because they've just been living with a script document for, you know, probably months. And then it's like, you brought it to life. Yeah. You know, I've even done things sometimes where they do like in um, real estate, where you're supposed to have like cookies (laughs) going, you know, like if it's Christmas time, we'll have like Christmas smells, you know, like that type of thing. So that people get like an experience. Sometimes on sets, I will even do stuff like, let's say just, you only need the inside and a tiny bit of the outside. I might put a little more of the outside so that people get the feeling of where they're walking into rather than just exposed flat on the back. So there's just a little bit more. So as they get the experience as they're entering, but that first moment, it's incredible. You know, it's the adrenaline high. It's, it's great. And it doesn't ever get old. Yeah. That's, that's the moment. I love that. So you've done, like we said in the intro, like past, present, future, how do you generate these ideas for time periods that either you haven't lived through or that no one has lived through? Well, I mean, the past, you always have reference. So the past, I think, I actually think the past is harder than the future because the past you can get wrong. You know, like if you haven't done your research well, you can mess it up. You can put the everything from like the light switches to like, was that style of furniture around then? Was that color palette around then? There's so much that you can get wrong that you really need to dive deeply into the period. For the future, the world is your oyster. You know, like you, you have constraints in that human beings yeah, physics. probably, yeah, <laughs> won't evolve that much farther. But for me, it's sort of like, what do I think is cool? You know, like, what do I think is cool? And how can I justify that it would be in the future? And if I have a loose justification for the future, I can run with it. You know, like I can say, this is what I see. So that for me is super, it's super fun. You know, because I'm designing, I'm just designing what I think is cool. We saw in a previous interview, you said you turned down nearly work for nearly four months before you found Little Fires Everywhere because you were looking for that satisfying project. And so curious, what makes a project satisfying for you? And like, what clues do you look for? You know, it's funny. It was actually Future Man, which is the opposite (laughs) of Little Fires that made me wait for Little Fires. Mm. Future Man was incredibly satisfying in that I love that type of comedy, number one. So yeah, reading the scripts was super fun. 
um, the guys who wrote the show were very collaborative. You know, they would come to me and pitch an idea and say, what do you think? Do you think it's funny? Do you think we can do this? If we can't successfully do this, because obviously we have budgets, what, what would we do to change it? You know, so I loved the content and I loved the freedom of design and I left it and I felt so like high from working on that show that I thought I want to keep feeling this way. So Little Fires came around, totally different show, but I read the script and it honestly is the first time where I felt like the female characters were written with authenticity. Um, Hello Sunshine and Simpson Street produced it and they're both very female forward. Obviously I'm a woman. Um, I loved that it was a mix of from just a job perspective, it was like I was working by politics. And then from a content perspective, the scripts were so engaging, you know, like I read this and I was like, they got it. Like they got that. This is how women behave and their motivations. They got that. And so I closed the script and I was just like, this is it. Like, I have to have this, like it works for me personally. It worked for me because it was period in the nineties. And I am a college graduate of the nineties, you know, like it hit me from a design point. You know, I remember those times fondly, like it, it checked every box. Thank you. Uh, it's so yeah. great to learn more about your work. So awesome. Listeners, you can watch the first season of little fires everywhere on Hulu to see Jessica's designs on screen and Jessica, please stick around and we'll bring Lisa into the conversation after a quick break. This holiday season, give the design lover in your life something truly unique. At Design Museum Everywhere, we've opened an online holiday store with several publications, including our books, Bespoke Bodies, about the design and craft of prosthetics, and Design and Play. It features incredible photography and stories about play environments from around the world. We also have our Design Museum Magazine, which is our quarterly publication on design impact. We also have gift memberships, which are perfect for employees, general design enthusiasts, and students or young professionals looking for resources and professional development. All membership levels include a magazine subscription. Check out the store on our website, designmuseumeverywhere.org. And we're back and we're joined by our special guest, Lisa Clark. Lisa majored in history and set design at Stanford and received an MA in history from UC Berkeley. Her expertise in historical research has played a major role in her development as a designer. She decorated films like Cherish and Dopamine, both premiered at the Sundance Film Festival. Lisa's work has also spanned theater and TV, where she collaborated with Jessica on Little Fires Everywhere, Future Man, and The Catch. Lisa, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, we're excited for you to join us. Thank you. So. I know you've worked with Jessica on some projects as a set decorator. I had to ask Jessica what that title means. I wonder if you could explain uh, what you do for us. Sure. Um, set decorator is a title that a lot of people don't understand. <laughs> and uh, the way that I describe it to, to a lay audience is that um, I'm like the interior designer to Jess being the architect. So anything inside of the space is my responsibility. I also compare it to um, costume design in that my responsibility is to build the, the character of the set so that the visual cues that you may not be conscious of tell you who the character is the minute you see the, the space. Um, so that that's the role of the set decorator. 
So visually, projects like Future Man and Little Fires Everywhere are like totally different. But is there something that you did for both shows that might be surprising? For Future Man, I spent a lot of time in junkyards, which is not necessarily a glamorous place. <laughs> but, but you learn a lot about... the One of the things I really like about my job is each project dictates that I learn something new about an environment or... Uh, a vendor that I might not know about before or and or something to that effect. So I like that it's different every time. So on Future Man, I jokingly but not jokingly told my entire crew to make sure their tetanus shot was up to date before <laughs> we started. <laughs> and um, we built a lot of furniture out of junk, you know, so a lot of the so the set dressing crew, which are the people that help execute the the design really played an integral role in helping design all of the elements that went into that. Set. My guess is you weren't in junkyards for uh, Little Fires Little Fires everywhere. was the opposite. No time wait, wait, in junkyards. Wait. Oh, that's no, not we, true. We did. We, did. we, did. we made it. Ah. Yes. yes. Yeah, see, I decided with Jess, I always have to go to the junkyard. <laughs> that's so. just part and of the And a job. piano. Junkyard and, and, and a piano. piano. That's true. Those two things always. So are, what was a junkyard for Little Fires Everywhere? <laughs> well, believe it or not, there's a scene where, where they go to an ice cream truck as a hideout in a junkyard. Okay, but the location where they wanted to shoot was not a junkyard. So a lot of times, we create sets that people think are were there when you got there. Which if we if you walk in and you feel that way, that means I've done my job. But basically, we created a junkyard out of nothing um, for Little Fires as well. So so That's I did amazing. spend time in a junkyard there as well. <laughs> That's so awesome. <laughs> Inspiration can come from anywhere. Yeah, it's true. If you could sort of take us through like a room, like what I love about working with Lisa is that you walk into this environment that we've talked about and it's exactly what she said. Like, it feels like it's right. It's true. Mm -hmm. So I am much more like the overall, like I'm sort of like, I like this I'm big, broad strokes. So for me, what I'd love to hear from Lisa is like stuff. What is the stuff that you do when I walk into a room that has made that character, like if you took any of the characters and you said like on this shelf, I put this and on this, like just examples of this layering and this creation that you do any one of our sets. I think that what makes it feel real is to really, you really spend time with the psychology of the character and that you embrace the character, whether it's somebody that you would necessarily like yourself. It's almost like going walking in someone else's footsteps and and taking a journey in someone else's life for a period of time in order to get those details right. So, you know, for example, with Izzy's room, we went back and forth about um so wait, let's tell them who Izzy is. Okay, sorry. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Izzy Izzy is one of the the main characters in Little Fires. Mm -hmm. And she is the rebellious teenage daughter. I see. Who is um correct me if I'm wrong, Jess. She's around 15. Yeah. So she's kind of in that transitional age before she's completely made a statement about who she is as a teenager. She's but she's not a child anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to capture all of those elements. So, for example, she's an artist, but she doesn't trust her voice yet. So we had sketches 
that she had done, but they were ripped out of um, a notebook and they still had the little rings on Mm. the edge. Like she hasn't made them pretty. (laughs) And instead of framing them and putting them on a wall, like they're tucked in a corner at the bottom near a poster because she's more interested in the famous, you know, person represented in the poster than her own voice. Mm. And there's still elements from when she's a child, like, there's a lamp that looks like maybe from a little girl's room, but she's put little um, pins on it and little other decorative items and stickers so that she's kind of obfuscating that part of herself. So it's those little details wow. that yeah. that you think about as a set decorator to make the character feel real and for you to experience like who they are, basically. Mm. Does that answer That's- the question, Jess? Yeah. Okay. Although, honestly, I could listen to you give me details like that all day. Oh, yeah. I was going to say yeah. that's so... Because yeah. as you're talking, and maybe it's the bookshelf behind you, but I'm like, is it fun to choose the books that are like... Oh, yeah. These? It is I gotta fun, actually. That's cool. I mean, you have to enjoy that process and be okay with the fact that some of it ends up on camera and some of it doesn't. Sure. But it's, it's the process of creating the space. And the actors often appreciate it, even if you don't see... The audience doesn't end up seeing it. So... You know, when we picked all of the books for for the teenagers in Little Fires, they were very specific. You know, Moody's books were were Heinlein and and other sci-fi books. And, you know, all of the books that were in um, in Elena's area were were travel books because she had wanted to leave and she never got to. And and they're very presentational. And, you know, so you yeah, you get into those details and. All of the VHS tapes that we picked, we made sure they were from the era that they would have been watching. And, you know, so, yeah, it's it's but but as a former historian, that's part of the joy of the job for me is I still get to use all of that research uh, training. Yeah, <laughs> to yeah. Create an I was curious with your background in history, like what inspires you more than is it like the characters of that time or is it like the time period itself? I I would say it's both. I know that's kind of a cop out answer, okay. but <laughs> but I would say it's both because the way people live in different time periods, you know, we can relate to it, but there are also subtle variations. And so to get into the sociology of that is is part of the fun, you know. Yeah, so, that's yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. I find your path to how you landed as a set decorator fascinating. Can you sort of take everyone through how you got here? Yeah, I had a quite a circuitous route to this career. <laughs> I know a lot of people uh, go directly into film production right out of college, but I I had dual loves of history and and design, and I wasn't sure where I wanted to land. So, so when I I, I went to college at Stanford and I studied um, I studied design and I studied history, and at the time I thought I wanted to be a historian. So I went to grad school in the PhD program at Berkeley in history. Um, and even though I loved history, I realized that I really missed storytelling and I missed a visual component to my life. And um, being a professor uh, didn't fit what would make me happy. So I, I went into documentary film because I had a background in history and I was a researcher for documentary film for a couple of years. And then I went and worked at Lucasfilm as an associate producer on a documentary series. Um, and I also worked in theater at the time. So 
I worked in independent theater in the Bay Area for about 10 years. Hmm. Um, and I loved theater because you get to tell a story in abstraction. It's kind of the opposite right. of, <laughs> of filmmaking. Um, and I, I'm biased because I worked in theater, but I think theater is a really good training for people in, in film and television because you have to understand what everyone does. Like you have to know why the lighting is important and why the props are important and how things are built. And you have to talk to the actors and the director and it's really collaborative. And so um, having had that experience, I feel like I'm a better collaborator in film and television because I understand everyone's role and that everyone's role is important. Um, so I did that for a while and I got to a point where I really wanted to focus on on film production. Oh, I also worked in, I also did a lot of different things. <laughs> I, um, I also worked in museums for a while. So oh, wow. I was excited uh, yeah. when I, to hear from you guys. Welcome back. I, yeah. I, um, <laughs> I wrote content, um, oh, for nice. museum exhibits for several years, um, where I used my history background again. Of course. Um, but, uh, I finally about around 2009, and I had done independent film on and off in the Bay Area. I met a decorator whose name was David Smith, and he was working on a pilot in the Bay Area. And he offered to sort of be my touchstone um, in moving to Los Angeles. And and I decided it was time for me to give it a shot and see it, how that would be to focus on film production. And so I did. <laughs> But it was after a, after many, many stops along the way before I ended up here. Very cool. Good question. What part of your work, as Marie Kondo says, sparks joy? Like, what is the thing for you that, like, like I was saying for me, it's when we present a set to the crew and the cast, you know, like that for me is the biggest, like, but what for you brings you the... Well, there are a lot of steps along the way, I think. I I I love the research part because as a as a former historian, I like the research and when I really get into the the details of what um what's going to define a set and I show it to you and you're excited by it, like I love that part. Um I love the part where I walk onto the set for the first time after it started to get roughed in and I'm working with the guys and I'm because, you know, we're always doing 12 million things at once. It feels like, and in that moment, I am not doing anything else, but focusing on creating this character. And I love that moment. And I love the moment of the, of interacting with my crew to make that happen that, that I really enjoy that. And of course, opening the set is always exciting. <laughs> we well. heard about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm definitely getting this like great vibe just because so many people involved with the collaboration. You almost feel like a big family, you know, by the end. And like yeah. you, like Jessica said earlier, like you've birthed this like. Yeah, baby. it's true. It's <laughs> true. Yeah. I mean, can I tell you one quick anecdote? Please. Um, I just finished a, a feature film. Uh, the the working title is Dog. I don't know if that will end up being the title. And there was a character I was really excited to create, which was sort of these. Um, older hippie types living in Northern California. I'm from Northern California. One of my best friends growing up had hippie parents. So I was very excited to, to really honor this culture. 
And um, so I spent a lot of time creating this character. And then the day that we opened the set, uh, the day before we opened the set, the actors came in for rehearsal. And the main character um, came up to me and gave, I know you're not supposed to do this right now, but she's like, I have to hug you because, (laughs) you know, I'm so happy. I almost never get delivered a set with this level of detail that really gives me something to go on. And I am so excited. And to, to create that joy in another artist and to mm-hmm. pass it on to them to work with is really, it's really rewarding. So. Yeah. Oh, that's got to be amazing. Yeah. I love it. So good. Well, so in Future Man created a, it was like an ultra max prison that yeah, was yeah. set in the year 3169 AD. So can you tell us about the process of that design? Like what inspired the look and like, you know, Lisa, what'd you, what'd you bring to it? Just curious. That one was intense in that we were limited on space but we wanted it to look amazing and we were also limited on budget so it sort of came from that space so we thought how are we going to manage to make this simple set look exciting without it's a jail so you don't have a lot of elements in it it's the future, but we don't have a lot of space. So we're going to set it in this nebulous nowhere land. So what do we have to work with now? If we don't have a lot of elements to make it look cool, we started with the idea that we wanted to play around with light within Mm. it. And every piece that Lisa picked had to be so specific. Like the, the stools that they sat on, I don't know if you look closely, but they were these like silver, I've never seen anything like it. Silver stools that were like ribbed. You know, I don't even know where she got them. But, you know, it's the one thing in this glass box. So it has to be important. Yeah. And because it's just this glass box, it has to be cool. So that's where we started playing with the lighting from that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. A set like that is really, uh, it's a different kind of challenge, like Jess was saying, because a lot of times when you're layering a set, it's more about, I would say a almost like a collage, right? A lot of things kind of coming together. Those, yeah, items tell you a story, but when you're dealing with a really minimal set, you have to be very careful and specific with every object. So that scene, I spent a lot of time reimagining uh, dinnerware <laughs> <laughs> because I wanted I wanted it to feel like when they sit down to eat that. You know they're sitting down to eat, but not in a way that we would picture it today. So so it was a lot of looking at really high-end design studios and trying to find elements that could play as dinnerware, but not literally be a plate and that kind of thing. <laughs> so that, it, was, it was a fun challenge. Yeah, that sounds <laughs> super cool. Is it harder to be limited by space or to be limited by the budget, would you say? Well, I would say we we are lucky enough to be on shows where the budget is at a point where it limits us to where if we had no limit, we might be working 24 hours a day. <laughs> so that's actually you know? a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, the space, I would say for me, is challenging because I always want to grow a room two more feet or I always want to add one more thing on, you know, and you can't do that. For me, I would say it's space rather than budget typically you always want to have a little more money you know you always want to have a but if you had on the shows that i've been on that have 
that that keep pouring money in, it actually makes it harder because if you have all that money and you only have 11 days to spend it, that means I'm up all the yeah, time because they have days. said yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For, for me, it's the money <laughs> <laughs> because um, money is what creates character, really, you know, uh, whether it's the sophistication of the elements you're choosing or the specificity of them or the quantity. If you, if you don't have a decent enough budget, which like Jess said, we've been lucky to work on some projects where we've had decent budgets, you know, it, it can end up looking very generic and that's not necessarily the fault of the designers at all. It's just that all you can afford to do is go to target or, you know, Walmart or whatever. Although I try not to go to Walmart. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think that we all, as people who appreciate design, design um, things that are of quality cost money, yeah. whether they be antiques or vintage items, you know, a high end new design. Mm -hmm. And those those are the things that talk to us, you know, the the generic knockoff kind of things yeah you know, they have we, value we, we therefore. they have value we all need them but if you only have money for those items it's harder to tell a story mm -hmm. i would say yeah oh that's great thank you both lisa thank, thank you. you so much uh, yeah, for sharing your expertise is awesome awesome stuff listeners if you want to see lisa's designs her latest shows can be streamed on hulu i highly recommend future man and little fires everywhere And now it's that time. Every week we share our weekly dose of good design, our examples of good, thoughtful design that has impacted us or others in a meaningful way. I'll go first. So pre-COVID and during COVID, uh, my wife and I cook dinner together every night. Uh, it's something we love to do, uh, sit down uh, to a good meal with our family. And we definitely have like our go-to recipes. Uh, but so recently, you know, we are, still in this like lockdown pandemic state. So we want to like mix it up. And so my weekly dose of good design is pretty simple, but we're absolutely loving it. It is a crinkle cutting knife. Uh, I'm not even sure which like brand we got. Uh, there's a ton of different options out there. That's not the point. Uh, it's, it's super fun. And I'm a firm believer that shape can impact taste or maybe it's just like a mental thing. So man, we're using it on everything. So we have crinkle cut fries, crinkle cut carrots. I grow cucumbers in our garden, so I've made crinkle cut pickles. Uh, we created a new treat for my daughter, which is branded the crinkle apple, uh, which is literally just an apple cut with the crinkle cutting knife into crinkle cut slices. But she loves it, so that's a thing now. <laughs> um, she gets very excited about it and eats them all. So it's a win for everyone. So I highly recommend a crinkle cutting knife. Add it to your kitchen tools. Have fun with it. We have had a ton of fun with it. So. And I will say with the crinkle cuts, it's giving you more surface area. That's so I it. think there's something to it. There's yeah. something real there about flavor. Mm -hmm. Flavor's mm -hmm. got nowhere to hide. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> All right, Jess, you're up. All right, so for me, it's also COVID-based. Uh, the industry that I'm in, we have very strong PPE regulations because we have to be around actors who take their masks off. So we are all wearing masks and we are wearing face shields. So mine is the face shield they've given us. They managed to have this face shield that 
is built where it slips over your glasses. Uh, if you wear glasses, if not, it sits on your nose. It has this beautiful piece of plastic that doesn't fog up somehow. Wow. All the other ones we've used have right. fogged up. It's so clear that I've walked off stage and I haven't even flipped it up. <laughs> and the fact that I have to wear this all day, you know, over my glasses and I didn't even notice it was there. Beautiful piece of design. Wow. Yeah. That's so interesting because so many of them are terrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's and funny. Our, yeah. Our COVID officer came up to me and she said, I've been watching you. You have to get too close to people. You need to wear this. And I was like, oh, no. And she was like, no, no, you're going to love this one. And she was right. <laughs> she was right. It's fantastic. You don't even notice it sitting there. It's great. This is I, definitely the first time yeah. a face shield has been mentioned on the weekly <laughs> dose of good design. So it must be very cool. Whoever did it. it, kudos. Yeah. And all wow. of us on the crew. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Now I want one. I mean, come on. That's great. Thank you, Jessica, so much for being here. It was a joy. Thanks for having me. That's our show. I want to again thank Jessica Kender and Lisa Clark for joining us, and thank you all for listening. We'll post links to their work and some of the other resources we discussed today on our episode page. Check out designmuseumeverywhere.org and click on podcast. While you're there, be sure to pre-order our new book, Bespoke Bodies, The Design and Craft of Prosthetics. If you're interested in design, healthcare, technology, and really just the human experience, I highly recommend this book. It has stories about people living with limb loss and limb difference and how they've worked with designers and really sometimes design their own prosthetic devices. It's pretty amazing. Uh, so we loved working with the limb loss and the prosthetics community. It was a joy, uh, a real bright spot in my life. Uh, amazing people. And I'm really proud of the book that we all put together. So you can pre-order it now on our website. Uh, be sure to check it out. And now that we're approaching the end of the year, I hope everyone listening will consider making a tax-deductible donation to support this podcast and support Design Museum Everywhere. Your financial support means the world to us and makes our mission possible. So help us bring the transformative power of design everywhere. Help us dive into the new year by making a year-end donation. Visit our website, designmuseumeverywhere.org, and you'll see a link at the top of the page. You can always find the latest from the Design Museum on social media, on Twitter, we're at design underscore museum. And on Instagram, we're at design museum everywhere. We're also on LinkedIn and Facebook. And we have a pretty awesome weekly email newsletter as well that you can sign up for on our website. This episode was written and produced by Amor Yates, along with our producer, Ryan Flom, with editing support from Amanda Martinez. Our theme music is Orange Sunset by One Wave. I'm Sam Aquilano. This was Design is Everywhere. Thank you for joining us.